we need a vaccine. We need, we need something to guard against what plagues us. We need an, an antidote or a way to, to immunize against the sickness that is destroying lives throughout our country. You know, in 1783, Europe also needed a vaccine. Smallpox was running rampant throughout the country, uh, throughout the continent, killing 80% of the children who contracted the virus. While it consumed the nations, the prospect of, of catching the virus heightened the fears of every mother and father as they anticipated who would be next to come down with the deadly boils. And parents isolated and, and sheltered their children in place in an attempt to protect them. However, Edward Jenner, a, a physician and scientist, believed there was a way to go at the issue instead of just avoiding it. There was an old English legend that, that milkmaid, milkmaids who had already come down with cowpox and recovered from it couldn't catch smallpox. And that's when the light bulb went off for Jenner. He hypothesized that if people were exposed to the fluid from an active cowpox boil, sounds awesome, they would be immune to smallpox. And he was right. Anyone who opted into his treatment did not catch the virus. Jenner would later name his treatment a vaccine from the Latin word vaca, meaning cow. And this was the beginning of the creation of vaccines for deadly viruses and diseases, including influenza. Now, I'm guessing that as soon as you heard me say, we need a vaccine, you immediately thought about the coronavirus, which makes sense. It's impacting all of us every single day and has been for the last eight months. But I believe there is another virus that has been affecting us every single day of our entire lives. And we're not alone. It's a plague that has been impacting those who have sat under the teaching of Jesus or even heard the teaching of Jesus ever since he walked the earth. A couple weeks ago, uh, Becky, Pastor Becky mentioned the beginning of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. The same sermon where Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, the poor in spirit. And I think maybe those folks are blessed because they haven't contracted the virus that some of us have. The sickness I'm referring to is affluenza. Merriam-Webster defines affluenza as the unhealthy and unwelcome psychological and social effects of affluence causing such problems as, and see if any of this sounds familiar, lack of motivation, social isolation, extreme materialism, and consumerism experienced by wealthy people, and it all results in a life of chronic dissatisfaction, stress, and impaired relationships. We don't see that at all, do we? In his book, How to Be Rich, Andy Stanley writes, affluenza runs rampant. It causes bouts of arrogance and, and chronic dislocated hope. The symptoms aren't always obvious either. They, they sneak up on you like an invisible growth that goes undetected while it eats away your insides. Now, maybe you hear those explanations and think, well, I'm not rich. Okay, yeah, yeah, me neither. But the median household income in America is somewhere around $63,000. 
while the median income worldwide is less than $2,000. So if you make the median income in America, you are in the top 0.17% in wealth of global citizens. Let's picture this. If I were to line up with 10,000 other people from around the world, I would be more wealthy than at least 9,882 of them. Now, of course, this is all relative. Uh, cost of living in the Bay Area is ridiculously higher than most places in the country. And, and let me just say, if you've lost your job because of the pandemic we're going through right now or circumstances from it, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, fortunately, we've been able to help many of you because of the generosity of a lot of other folks looking at me right now. But if you still have a job and are still earning an income in the Bay Area, then you and I are rich. To add on top of that, the competitive environment we live in causes us to look at ourselves, regardless of our income or net worth, as anything but rich. A recent Gallup poll found that regardless of who they asked and what wage they earned, not one person surveyed defined themselves as rich. What folks generally defined as rich was anyone who made twice what they made. So if my household income is $100,000 a year, I would define rich as earning $200,000 a year, which is also true for someone who makes $5 million a year. That individual would define rich as a person who makes $10 million a year. So rich, for a lot of folks, is a moving target. Regardless of the relativity of, of what is rich and, and what is not, as human beings, we naturally look toward how we can just be a little bit wealthier. It's, it's way easier for us to look at what we don't have than to look at what we do have. And the fact remains that if you live in America and if you've been able to read the words on this screen, not to mention that you're reading them and watching this from an internet-connected desktop, laptop, smartphone, or smart TV, by global standards, we are rich. So, for the sake of our conversation today, I wanna to ask you to, to begin to assess what your basic need requirements are. Take a, take a close look at your life and the difference between need and want. Affluenza causes us to confuse the two way too often. You know, I wonder how, how Jesus would respond to how we define, spend, and use our wealth. I believe that he would say, we need a vaccine. I think Jesus would tell us today that there is a better way to be rich. You know, one day as, as crowds gathered around Jesus to, to listen to him and, and learn from him, a curious, wealthy young man walked up to Jesus. The disciples, along with some of the poorer folks nearby, eavesdropped on the conversation. The young man, when he, when he saw Jesus, he recognized him as, as someone who had wisdom and, and insight when it came to the supernatural. So he approached him with a question. Either looking for clarity or justification, he asked, Hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to achieve eternal life? Jesus, sensing where this was going, said, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? The man asked. 
Okay, um, don't kill people, don't sleep around, don't steal, don't lie, respect your mom and dad, and love your neighbor as much as you love you. His confidence growing, the man said, that's easy. I've done all that. What else is there? What else am I missing? Well, Jesus said, if if, if you want to be mature and full-grown in Christian character, if you want to reach the highest level, which was perfect language for this wealthy guy who would not have been able to avoid falling into comparing himself with what others had and and what they achieved. Jesus said, if you want to get here, sell everything you have. And then after you sell everything you have, give the proceeds to to him and her and her and him and, and her and him and her. Actually, give it away to anyone you see who is in need. But, but check this out, your wealth, when, when you do this, your wealth will be eternal. It won't go away. You'll be rich forever. If you're in for all of that, come follow me. As Jesus spoke, the expression on the wealthy young guy's face went from one of inquisition and pride to some combination of fear, pain, and sadness. So much sadness that he couldn't respond. I mean, he couldn't even look at Jesus with his head drooped and eyes fixed on the ground beneath him. He he kicked the dirt at his feet and heartbroken, he, he turned and somberly walked away. Jesus was heartbroken too, hurt by the greed that riddled this young man who just stood before him. He turned back to his disciples who had just watched this entire conversation and said, Guys, this is not easy. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Actually, it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now this conversation I just summarized is recorded in more than one of the Gospels. Three people actually wrote about this encounter, so it obviously left a mark on those who ventured to tell the story of Jesus' life. And and I think it leaves a pretty significant impression on all of us who hear hear this story as well. The imagery of Jesus' analogy of trying to fit a camel through the eye of this, which I, like, I, I got LASIK and I can barely see where, where that's at. Like, it's vivid. That's vivid imagery. Now, scholars and theologians have debated the meaning behind this analogy for centuries. Some theologians argue that the word camel is a mistranslation, that the Aramaic term used here also could mean thick rope. Regardless, if, if that were the case, the sentiment would still be the same. It would be impossible to get a thick rope through this. Others have argued that the eye of the needle is actually a gate in Jerusalem. You're curious about, about this line of thinking. I reached out to Duran Bookstein, our good friend and tour guide for every cornerstone trip to the Holy Land. And Duran told me that actually, yes, every city gate and religious center has an eye of the needle. It's a small door within the gate doors that allows a person to go through, but not an animal. It looks like this. 
Now, just so you know, it was really difficult to find a picture of one of these gates that didn't have a tourist, a tourist climbing through it. And they were all dressed like it was the 90s. Apparently that was a popular time to take a picture of yourself walking through one of these gates in Jerusalem. Anyway, um, unfortunately, some prosperity gospel preachers have taught that a camel actually can get through these needle gates by, by kneeling. And they use it as a call for their listeners to continue to amass wealth, but to do so humbly. That it doesn't matter if you, if you hold on to your money, as long as you're humble about it. And we know that this misses the mark of Jesus' preaching entirely. Other preachers have taught this eye of the needle example by stating that Jesus was referencing a connection point into Petra and communicating that the only way to get a camel through this chasm is by unloading everything that burdens the camel, all the luggage, all the gear that it's carrying. They say that Jesus was talking about shedding what we have, our wealth, our privilege, our rights, our preferences, our, our egos, in order to, to enter the kingdom of God. And I totally agree with the sentiment of that teaching and really like it and think it's super true. But I feel it still misses the broader mark of everything Jesus is saying by this one statement. And here's why. Look at what happens next in Matthew chapter 19, verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Like, Jesus, this sounds impossible. This puts the kingdom of God way out there like, like we can't get there. And Jesus says, well, you can't. Not on your own. Jesus looked at them, verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. My friend Roy Goebel wrote a book called Junkyard Wisdom with the subtitle, The Whisper of Wealth in a World of Broken Parts. You know, Roy has achieved a great deal of success. Even by American standards, he is wealthy, which I don't think he'll mind me saying that. If he does, it's too late now. But in his book, Roy talks about this passage and how impossible it is. At one point, he imagined himself in the shoes of the rich young man. If Roy were here, I'd make a joke about how funny it is that he pictured himself as a rich young man, but he's not here, so I won't make that joke. Uh, but as Roy writes about the tension he feels when he reads this story and how if he were to give all of his wealth away, which is one possible course of action, you can tell the wrestling that he goes through as he processes this. Because if he were to give, if Roy were to give all of his wealth away, it would have a direct impact on his employees, his tenants, his accountants, his advisors, and the organizations he and his awesome wife, Dion, consistently support. And that's not to mention those who would be impacted, direct, uh, impacted indirectly. Sure, lives would be changed in great ways if he were to give all of his wealth away. But what about those who would be negatively impacted if he were to do so? You know, figuring out what to do and, and, and what is right seems impossible if we put ourselves in the shoes of the rich young man. And that's what it seems like for Roy when he does the same thing. And so he wrestles. I don't think he has ever resolved this tension, but 
but he wrestles with it daily. And he doesn't do it alone. He wrestles with God. At one point in his book, he asks, what if following God looks less like a one-time prayer and more like a lifetime of wrestling? You know, what we do with what we have is not a tension I think any of us ever entirely resolve, but it should always be a tension we wrestle with. Because with this impossible analogy from Jesus, a rich person like you and me and Roy, how is it possible for us to live as a part of the kingdom of God? For, the G- for Jesus, the, the answer is so simple and so demanding. It is only possible with God. To quote my friend one more time, the life of a rich person following Jesus is a life of bashing and bumbling into exasperating, unwinnable situations time after time after time. It's a hopeless life. Unless God intervenes. Did you know that the very name of God's chosen people, Israel, means wrestling with God? Contending and struggling with our Creator has been, has been going on for thousands of years. And when it comes to our wealth, we wrestle with God about that too. Or at least, I hope we are. And I want to ask you to do something with me. Can we commit to daily wrestle with our wealth? Starting today. Now, let me make sure we have clarity here. When we wrestle with our wealth, what are we truly wrestling with? I mean, it's not just being rich. If we live in America, then we are rich. So it's not just about what we have, but more about what we do with what we have. The title of this sermon wasn't A Better Way to Get Rich. The title and thought for today is A Better Way to Be Rich. And maybe more people would have clicked on the link to this message if it was titled A Better Way to Get Rich. But that's not the way of Jesus. Because if wealth can cause us to develop a sickness, and in a lot of of ways, in our socioeconomic context, many of us, have caught the affluenza bug. If that's true, then we still need a vaccine. And I think the Apostle Paul identified a way to immunize against affluenza in his first letter to Timothy. This is Jesus' better way to be rich. Paul writes, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Command them to not be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God. You know, my hope isn't in what I have, but who provides what I have. Okay, but but how do we do that? I'm glad you asked, Paul says. 
And then he continues, do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. You know, it's really difficult to be arrogant, narcissistic, egocentric, or to put my hope in what I have if I spend all my time thinking about how to do good. And I love that Paul writes, be rich in good deeds. He wrote this sermon for me. What's the better way to be rich? The better way to be rich is to be rich in good deeds. There's our vaccine right there. In his book, Culture Making, author Andy Crouch wrote, the only real antidote to the temptations of money is lavish generosity. Lavish generosity. Just sit with that phrase for a moment. Lavish generosity. You know, the problem with lavish generosity is that when we take this vaccine, we aren't just telling affluenza no. Because we are so intrinsically connected to our wealth, we are also telling ourselves no. Generosity can and often does manifest itself through saying no to what I want and yes to what someone else needs. And this is so difficult. This teaching from Jesus, like most teachings from Jesus, is a radical idea especially for us Americans. This is counter to American culture. Love of money is is so normal to us. It's ingrained in us. It's normal to love money. It's normal for us to say yes to what we want and convince ourselves it's what we need. It's radical to tell ourselves no. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but people don't like to be told no. Think about this though. When it comes to what we want, and what Jesus wants. We're either gonna tell ourselves no, or tell Jesus no. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying to not be rich. Remember, by global standards, we already are. I'm saying let's be better at being rich. And being better might take me telling myself no, and it might take you telling yourself no. Actually, it most likely will. Studies show that the richer people get, the smaller percentage of their money they give away. The more wealth they have, the less they give. The more we have, the more difficult it is to part with. It's interesting, isn't it? But those of us who are wrestling with God when it comes to our wealth are striving toward the better way. So, if you're willing to to wrestle with your wealth, like I asked earlier, I want want to encourage you to take this one step further and wrestle with whether or not the phrase, lavish generosity, defines you. Is that how you would describe you? Is that how those around you would describe you? As I thought through that for me this week, I realized that lavish generosity is not how I would describe myself. And it's not because I'm trying to be humble or anything. Um, Between my wife and I, she's the generous one. She's always wanting to give our money away. I'm the practical one. Some people may say stingy or cheap, but I say practical. But I don't think Jesus calls us to be practical. 
He calls me, he calls us to be full grown in Christian character. And oftentimes that is extreme, radical and countercultural, just like lavish generosity is. So as Jesus preached this message to me, it has forced me to wrestle. I hope it does for you too. A few weeks ago, our, our leadership team was meeting and we were having a conversation about a bunch of different things. And during that conversation, Sando, our Hayward campus pastor, youth pastor, community outreach care pastor, he, he does everything for that campus. He told us about the Bible study he had with the high school students the night before. And instead of me just telling you the story, I asked him to come and join me and share that story with all of us. Well, Sando, thanks for coming and hanging out. I know a few weeks ago we were talking about what happened after one of your Bible studies. Can you share with everyone what the Bible study was about and then what went down afterward? Yeah, you know, I get to see a lot of crazy stuff out in Hayward, but it's also a ton of awesome stuff. And this is one of those examples. So what we've been doing is, is we've been on Thursday nights to get, get together a lot of the students who might not have the best home environments, who might have added on difficult things during this COVID season. Like they need to be together in person. So in groups of like 15 or less, we've been getting together in my parents' backyard and doing like kind of a, a community group Bible study type thing where we're just like digging in together and caring for one another. So we're, we were walking through John chapter 13 and Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And ultimately out of that coming, like teaching them and walking through what it looks like to be Jesus' disciple is that you serve one another and you make it your top priority to serve other people. Because mm. if our Savior, if our Lord does that, like how much more are we called mm -hmm. to do that? So, so you had them all wash each other's feet there. Like <laughs> yeah, you know, perfect COVID protocols, <laughs> washing these dirty feet. So, so you, did, you, did the, you did the Bible study. What happened afterward? Yeah, so there was one student in particular who um, has come kind of sporadically, um, but it's starting to come back since we've gathered in person in my parents' backyard. And he's like, hey, Sando, can I talk to you? And we, we had some time sitting outside where he just kind of broke down and, and started crying and talked about how he's been struggling with depression. And this is a kid that, that will say, I never cry. And there, I think you might have even said that earlier that day, but then sure enough, he cried. So, but letting his guard down, like something hit him. He, he was vulnerable. He just wanted to chat for a few minutes. We, we prayed together. It was a really special moment. And then we, we go back in and um, we're joining with the rest of the kids. And, and kind of as a practice, you know, I like to kind of lay out practical things that students can do with this stuff. So even just as a little way, it was like, all right, so we're going to stand in a circle and the person to the right of you when we go to the gas station and get snacks afterwards, that's the person that you're gonna pick out a snack for. Like I was planning on paying for it because I was pretty confident that none of them were going to, but it was like, that's at least an effort to, sh to extend yourself to care for someone else, to figure out what they want and to pick it out for them. So we get to the gas station and we walk in and you know, of course a kid or two forgot their mask so we had to figure something else, but, but that's okay. And, and so we get in there and they're picking out snacks for each other and we get to the front. We get to the cashier and I'm, I'm pulling out my wallet and this kid, the same kid we were talking about earlier, he goes, I, I want to serve all of you. Mm. And at first I was like, I don't, I don't know what you meant. Like, I was like, oh, you just put the stuff up on the counter. That was your way of Thanks. serving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which honestly, sometimes that's a big thing, but yeah, like yeah. you just put it up on the, the counter. So thanks. But he's like, no, I got this. Mm. I want to serve everyone. 
And the coolest thing about that was there were people in this group that like he didn't get along with, like that they had beef between them. Like I think a couple years ago he was talking to like one of the other guy's girlfriend when they were still trying to date. So like there was some some like as, as high school relationships go, that's like that is the the highest level of beef that there is, right? Right, yeah. exactly. It's like why are you talking to my girl, man? <laughs> but he he even wanted to serve the students that that he had issues with. Mm. And that to me was so powerful. You know, you know when you see like these children, especially when they've had such difficult upbringings, and he's he's 17, but when you see him get it, and not just get it like you understand, but then you're going above and beyond, yeah. which really leans into what Jesus is communicating. And the coolest thing was, like, this kid doesn't work a ton. He works here and there, does some construction construction stuff, mm-hmm. but the snacks were 50 bucks. Wow. Like, he pulled 50 bucks out of his own pocket mm-hmm. on a Thursday night. I was like, I want to serve everyone here, including me. That's cool. He wanted to buy my snack too, including me. So he's not well off. Snacks cost $50. And you know, like to many of us, 50 bucks isn't a lot. Right. But when you take into consideration uh, the percentage of his wealth, mm-hmm. and percentages mean a lot when they say a lot when we consider our wealth and, and our generosity, what we give away on a percentage level. When you take all that into consideration, that student reflects more of the, the lavish generosity that Jesus calls us to. And I hate admitting this, but it's true, more than I often do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think as, as I and, and as we this week consider our wealth and consider what it means to be rich and, and the better way to be rich, Let's be generous. Come on. Let's be rich and good. I haven't had anyone respond at all to a sermon in eight months, so that kind of scared me a little bit. Uh, Audience of one. Yeah, you're nailing it. <laughs> but let's be rich, be rich in good deeds. Let's never stop wrestling. I mean, that's what I want you to do this week. I want you to wrestle. Wrestle with your needs. Wrestle with your, your wants. Wrestle with what is, what is good. Wrestle with what lavish generosity looks like. What it looks like toward your church, toward your community, toward anyone you know who's in need, and then act on where God leads you. You know, if any of us are feeling like after this message, like we don't know what we're supposed to do next, then, then good. If this all feels impossible, if, if you're wrestling, then you're in good company. The disciples were in the exact same boat as you are. And if you're willing to wrestle, this week, for some of us, Jesus might say, give it all away. For others, he might tell you to meet the need you're already aware of, the neighbor's car that needs fixed, your, your friend's rent or mortgage that needs paid, the Thanksgiving dinner for the family that can't afford it this year, the, the snacks after a Bible study, right. and pay for it. Maybe Jesus will, will tell you that this week you need to donate to an organization that is really making a difference in people's lives, like your church, a local food bank, or, or nonprofit, and or something overseas. Now, I don't know what it's going to be for you, but God does. So ask the Holy Spirit to show you how truly wealthy you are and what to do with your wealth. If you really wrestle with this, I can promise you that there will be a a step to take, something active and something lavishly generous, because the best way 
for us to show the world who Jesus is and what he's all about isn't to exegete the scriptures really well or, or unpack our theology or tell people how they should think or act. The best way is for us to demonstrate our generosity. That is the better way to be rich. Sando, can you pray for us? Oh man, I'd be honored. <sighs> Heavenly Father, I just love when we get to talk about things like this that are so practical but yet so challenging. I pray that we, as we as individuals and as a culture and a society, look at how affluenza has negatively affected us and caused us to hold on to more than we should and, and think that luxuries are necessities, Lord, that, that you would break some of those chains, that you would break that bondage in Jesus' name, Lord, that we would understand that everything we have is yours. And there's a tremendous opportunity ahead of us to, to be known as your people with how lavishly generous we are. Yeah. And that there truly is a better way to be rich when we're willing to attend some circumstances when you call us to literally to give everything mm. for you and your kingdom and to see people come to know you. So whatever that looks like for each of us, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us, that we would have clarity. And when we see you speak, Lord, when we hear you speak, that we would move because delayed obedience is disobedience, Lord. And we want to be a people that are faithful to what you're calling us to when it comes to generosity and a better way to be rich, Lord. And of course, we ask all of these things in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks, dude. Yep. Love you guys. See you soon.